Good morning, First Church. I am so grateful that we get the opportunity to connect here this morning, and I'm so grateful for the gift of technology that lets us connect in this way. Uh, As we do that this morning, the first thing I want to ask us to do is to pause in prayer together. So let's go ahead and do that. Lord God, this day may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, shaking us to new life in you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, First Church and others, it really is good to be with you here this morning. And uh, I've just been reflecting on the time that we're in. It really is a unique time. Uh, That's not news to any of us. Uh, This journey that we are on is a journey unlike we've ever had before. And in a lot of ways, I'm actually very grateful for the sermon series that we're in right now. You will remember we've been focused on the journey that Christ took moving towards Holy Week. And I'm grateful for that because when Jesus walked on this earth, that was really a watershed moment in history. There had never been a time like it before or since when he walked physically on the earth like he did. So how good is it for us to look at his journey in that watershed moment and to be thinking and applying lessons from his journey on earth to our time now? Because I think right now is also a watershed moment in history. We've never had a time like this and the world is not gonna be the same after this time. And so how good is it to be able to look at the journey that Christ took as we are journeying now with Christ through Lent towards Holy Week ourselves? And what is it that we can learn together? You might remember over the last number of weeks, we've been looking then at different times and places in the life of Jesus as he was making his own journey. And so we remembered that the first thing that we looked at was Jesus literally existed before time began. He existed before creation began. I find comfort in that because part of what that reminds me of is that Jesus is greater, he is bigger than anything that we have ever faced or anything that we are currently facing. He is Lord of all. But we remember as he came to this earth and as he started to move through his earthly life, there were significant moments and times in his life. So we remember, for example, uh, when he was 12 years old, we sometimes forget that Jesus himself uh, was a kid. Uh, He was a pre-adolescent. He went through things that every single teenager goes through. He had to struggle with his own identity issues. All of us have times when we struggle with our own identity. And Christ reminds us that he is with us in every moment of exploring our own identity. And then as we continue with Jesus, we remember when he was baptized and whenever he faced the temptations of Satan in the desert. And all of us have our own times of temptation. All of us know what it's like to be tempted and unfortunately at times fall to temptation. Jesus knows what those temptations are like. And he gives us lessons on how to deal with them and and doing that as fully human, not just as divine, but fully human. And in that baptism, remembering he was fully human when the Holy Spirit came upon him and anointed him. And then last week, I was so grateful for the words of Pastor Janet as she shared with us the reminder that because Jesus was fully human, he could identify with every single one of us in the full range of emotions that we have. What a good reminder for the day and age in which we live, that whether we feel anxious or anger or uncertainty or peace or joy, Christ can relate to every single one of those emotions. And so because he was fully human, that's part of what made him such a great teacher and such a great preacher. Now, today, as we come together, what I want to ask us to focus on is something different than anything we've talked about so far. And the way I want to introduce that to us this morning is this. I want to share a story with you 
I don't know how many of you might know Jim Carroll. Uh, Jim is a member of First Church, and I ran into Jim just a couple of weeks ago, and I was talking with him, and we were having the usual banter. Now, this was before everything that started with the coronavirus, so it was, quote-unquote, a normal week, and I, as we were talking, I said, Jim, what, what is a normal week like for you? And he just started to lay out some things for me that, honestly, as I was listening, I was kind of surprised, because the first thing that he said to me was, he's like, well, uh, last week, he said, I had the opportunity. I went to the hospital because a friend of mine was getting ready for a heart transplant, and he said, I went there and I prayed for her. And he said, I got a call a little while later. And she said, Jim, great news. Uh, the doctors are going to let me go soon. And I said, you know, Jim said, why is that? And uh, she said, well, after you prayed with me, I started to feel better. And the doctors came and checked in my heart. And actually, it's fine. They decided I don't need a heart transplant. And I looked at Jim and I said, uh, you mean after you prayed for her, suddenly she was fine. And he said, yeah. And then he said on Tuesday of that week, he was talking with his nephew. His nephew had a broken ankle. And Jim prayed for his nephew and the broken ankle. Jim said later that evening, he called on his nephew to check on him. And here his nephew wasn't even really available to talk because he was out playing basketball. His ankle was fine. I looked at Jim and I was like, wait a minute. You prayed for him, broken ankle. And by that night, he was walking on it. He was fine. And Jim said, yeah. And then Jim said Wednesday of that week, he was talking with another friend of his who just really struggles with depression, the kind that is debilitating and paralyzing. And Jim said he prayed with him. And Jim said later that day they were talking and his friend said to him, I can't explain it, Jim, but I just feel like a weight has been lifted off my shoulders. I feel a joy and a peace and a happiness I haven't felt in a long, long time. Now, by this point, as you can imagine, my, my mouth is pretty much hitting the ground. And I'm like, I, I, I'm having a hard time getting my mind around this. Really? <laughs> and I looked at Jim and I said, it, is this normal for you? And Jim said, well, it, it kind of happens on a regular basis. Now, I want to pause there for just a moment. I want to ask you where you are. How does that story strike you? Like whoever you're with right now, like literally turn and look at them and say, Yo, what do you think of that story? Does it sound normal? Does it sound uh, easy to believe? Does it sound really hard to believe? What is it that's going through your mind right now, literally, as you're hearing that story? Now, as you're thinking about that, and maybe as you're even talking amongst yourselves for just a moment, I will confess to you that story I just shared with you about Jim and Jim Carroll, it, it is not true. There is no Jim Carroll as part of our congregation. However, the story that you heard already this morning of Andrea with her healing, that did happen. That healing, dare we say, that miracle did occur. And so I'm curious this morning, First Church, what is our reaction to Jesus and who he is offering healing and miracles in our world? And what does it mean for us to walk with Jesus and share in those healings and miracles in our world. Because I would bet that when we listen to that story of Jim, to hear Jim as a human being doing those healings, that sounds weird to us in a lot of ways. But if you put the name of Jesus in place of Jim, my guess is that suddenly we can start to comprehend the story a lot more. It can start to make a lot more sense to us. So one of the first things I want to ask you to think about this morning is this, and I invite you even right now to share with our online hosts. When you think about Jesus doing miracles, is that easy for you to believe? Is it hard for you to believe? Or are you not sure? So just go ahead right now, type in easy, hard, not sure, 
in response to the idea of Jesus doing miracles. And as you start to think about that this morning, I want to share this passage of scripture with you. It's in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 23 through 25, and this is what it says. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues. We have no problem with teaching. Uh, Pastor Janet referenced teaching with us. We can picture that as Jesus as a human being, and he's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And again, I imagine we can picture that, but then it says, and Jesus was healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread throughout all of Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures, those who were paralyzed. And then it says, and he healed them all. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region from the Jordan, they all came and followed him. Now think about that. Is that easy for you to believe? Is that hard for you to believe? Are you just not sure? Because I think for a lot of us, when we picture Jesus as fully divine, we don't have any problem thinking in some ways of Jesus doing these kind of miracles. But remember, Jesus was also fully human. And one of the things I want to ask us to start thinking about this morning is what was it that allowed Jesus to do these miracles and to do these healings? For many of us, I have a feeling that we say something like this. Well, Jesus was fully divine. Therefore, he had superpowers of sorts. So it's fine for Jesus to do miracles, but it's not fine for me because I'm not divine. I don't have the superpowers that Jesus does. But I want us to think for just a little bit, is that really true? Because first of all, we know that miracles are powerful. Wouldn't it be amazing if we as followers of Jesus could do some of the same things that Jesus did? Think about what he did and what we just read here in the story this morning. Walking along, touching people, cancer, healed, depression, healed, Alzheimer's, healed, coronavirus, healed, and on and on and on. Lou Gehrig's disease, healed, dementia, healed, kidney disease, healed, diabetes, healed. Wouldn't it be great if we as followers of Jesus could offer healing like that as well? Now, again, I think when we follow the pattern of Jesus, to some degree, we can track with him on some things. But when it gets to this idea of healing, well, that becomes a different story. For example, in thinking about the life of Jesus, if you follow his story from the beginning of Matthew to where we are today in Matthew chapter 4, we see that Jesus was born. Uh, we celebrate that. Uh, we celebrate baptism together when Jesus was later baptized in his life. We also saw that the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus, and we celebrate that. We see that Jesus lived into discipleship. We celebrate discipleship. We see that Jesus spread the good news. Sometimes we struggle with that, but we're okay with trying to live into sharing and spreading the good news. But then we get to Matthew 4 here this morning, and suddenly we see Jesus doing all of these healings. And I wonder for us at that point what our thought is. We're willing to try to teach in the name of Jesus. We're willing to try to share good news in the name of Jesus. We're willing to be baptized. We're willing to live into forms of discipleship, at least try to. But do we ever give serious thought to living into the healings that Jesus offers in our world? Do we ever give serious thought to living into the miracles that Jesus offers in our world? I think a lot of times we don't because again, we say Jesus is divine and I'm not. But here's the thing, church, and remember this from when we looked at the baptism of Jesus a couple of weeks ago. Jesus was also fully 100% human. 
And when Jesus was baptized, what happened? The Holy Spirit came down upon him and anointed him in the power of the Holy Spirit to then be able to go and do these things like healings and miracles. In fact, in scripture, we don't see any record of miracles happening in the life of Jesus prior to his anointing of the baptiz- at his baptism with the Holy Spirit. So if Jesus is fully human and doesn't do any miracles until he's baptized in the Holy Spirit and then does miracles, what does that mean for us? <laughs> it means we who are also fully human On our own, we're also not going to do any miracles. But what about if in the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit, we take seriously what Jesus did? And remember, he commands us to do what he did. That means we too then can go out and do miracles or offer healing in our world. Now, not in our own strength, not because we're human, but in our humanness with the anointing of the Holy Spirit, it's the power of God through us that allows the anointing to happen. Now, if we can argue that Jesus did miracles because he was divine, and certainly he would have been able to do miracles because he was divine, but if we know that to be the case, and we know that Jesus was also fully human, and he was, and he then could do the miracles in the power of the Holy Spirit, then what does it mean for us who call on the name of Jesus in all of our humanness to also be anointed in the Holy Spirit? It means we can then do what Jesus did. And while we often think that's true when it comes to discipleship or teaching or proclaiming and sharing good news, many times we don't think it relates to healing. But here's what I want to share with you today, church. And I love the way my mentor, Len Sweet, said it. He said, we could categorize the life of Jesus by saying, in general, he taught, he preached, and he offered healing in the world. Church has done a pretty good job of teaching and of preaching but I don't know that the church has done a good job of offering healing in the world. And church, there has never been a more important time to offer healing in the world than right now. Physically with the coronavirus, emotionally and mentally with the stress and anxiety of what's coming or what's already here or the fear of the unknown, never has it been more important for God's church to rise up and offer healing. Might now be that time. In fact, if Jesus was able to do miracles because of the anointing of his Holy Spirit, then I would argue we can too. Now, how do you feel about that? And again, one more time, I want to invite you, share right now with the online host. Is it easy for you to believe that we can do healing and miracles in the name of Jesus? Is it hard to believe we can do healings in the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit? Or are you just like, I don't know. Right now, go ahead and take a few moments and share that with our online hosts and start to have some interaction with each other. I'd love to know how you feel about that and what that means for you and what that begins to look like for you. What we know is that Jesus did these healings in the power of the Holy Spirit. We know that Jesus commands us as humans to do the same thing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And because it's not in our strength, but in the strength of God Almighty through the Holy Spirit, that's what makes it possible. That's what allows us to live in this direction. If Jesus could do miracles not based on his divinity, but on his humanness and the power of the Holy Spirit, then we who are not divine, but are human in the power of the Holy Spirit, could do the same. And wouldn't that be a powerful gift to offer the world at this time? And we see so many examples of this. 
if you are with, uh, if you're with others or if you have your Bible with you, here's what I want to invite you to do. I want to look up real quick a couple scriptures with you. Luke chapter 10, verse 17 says this. Listen to what is shared as I share this with you here this morning. Luke chapter 10, verse 7 says this. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. So here's the disciples casting out demons. Then we see this, Matthew chapter 7, verse 22. Many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many other miracles? And then look what it says over in the book of Acts, chapter 19, verse 11. It says, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, a human being. And listen to this, then in Acts chapter 20, this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. We could spend a long time just on this. Acts 20, verses 9 through 12, seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and he was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, put his arms around him and said, don't be alarmed, he's alive. Then he went upstairs again and he broke bread and ate. And after talking until daylight, he left and the people took the young man home alive and he was greatly comforted. Now think about that story, especially the last one there. This is not a light healing. This wasn't just a healing from measles. That would have been great. The man is dead. And Paul, in the power of the Holy Spirit, raises him up. We are expected to offer healing in our world. Now, if that's the case, and we're expected to offer healing in our world, then why is it that we as followers of Jesus don't often do that? Why don't we seem to have the power to offer healing and miracles in our world? Here's my profound answer, church. I don't really know. I can't fully explain it. I mean, I'm with you. If, if we want to follow Jesus and I have faith, shouldn't I, couldn't I be able to do miracles and healings in our world? And yet it so often doesn't seem to happen. Why? I don't fully know. I'm just going to be honest with you this morning. But I will share this with you. I think there's a couple, couple reasons why we often don't see the miracles and the healings that we wish we would. Number one, I think we can explain a lot of common day miracles by technology. For example, a lot of nights right now, I'm jumping online at six o'clock to join with you, uh, or I'll do a midweek moment. If a hundred of you are watching the midweek moment or the six o'clock time at the same time, technically you could say, I am in each home at exactly the same time. That sounds almost omnipresent, but it's the gift of technology that lets us do that. Or imagine that you lived uh, you know, 200 years ago and somebody came up to you and said, we're gonna be able to give you a device that you can hold in your hand that at the same time allows you to connect with a hundred other people to know what they're doing or literally call across to the other side of the globe or have access to all the information of history instantly at your disposal or for anything you don't know, you can conjure up this wonderful, almost magical genie named Siri that you can ask a question to and, or Google and they will give you the answer. 200 years ago, that would have sounded absolutely miraculous and today technology lets us do that. Or 200 years ago again, what if somebody said, you'll be able to fly? That would have sounded beyond the realm of possibility, yet technology lets us do that. So I think sometimes miracles happen and we just don't catch it because of 
the expectation that technology has brought to us. Sometimes I think that miracles happen and we just don't notice them because we're not trained to look for them. I can't say this with any definitive notion to you, but thinking back on my life, I think there's a number of times that there were miraculous events. And at the time, I just didn't catch it. For example, I still remember when I was a teenager, I was only 16 or 17 and I was early on in my driving. I remember in the city in which I lived or near the city where I lived, I was literally driving through an intersection and there was tons of, uh, of, of cars going the opposite way. I did not see the stop sign that I had while all of this traffic was going perpendicular to me. Without slowing down a bit, I went right through it. And I remember the moment I was through it, just having this moment of, I think I should have stopped. And as I looked at my rear view, rear, rear view mirror, uh, there were cars just zooming by. And in retrospect, I can't say that God didn't somehow miraculously, literally just bring me through that string of cars unscathed. I remember another time, uh, again, I was a teenager, and I dove into a pool, and I thought I was diving in the deep end. I was 100% sure, and I, I just had lost track of where I was. I remember hitting my head really hard on the cement in the bottom of the pool, the shallow end, and my neck snapping. And in an instant, I remember thinking, did I just paralyze myself? Because I had heard tons of stories about that by doing exactly what I had done, and yet somehow all I had was a bump on my forehead. Was that a miracle? And maybe I just didn't notice it at the time. I remember one other time praying for a friend, and this has rarely happened in my life, but praying for that friend, I suddenly saw uh, flashing lights and police lights, and I didn't know why, only to later find out that that very friend who I'd been praying for in that moment had just been involved in an accident. Miraculous? I don't know. I think there are elements of that in our lives and miracles that we just haven't trained ourselves to see. So sometimes technology lets us not connect with miracles. Sometimes just not being trained to look for them makes us not recognize miracles. But I think there is one other element, and maybe this is the biggest of all, of why we don't see or experience miracles. And that is this. We just don't expect them or have faith to see them in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me say that carefully. Uh, I think a big reason we often miss miracles is that we often have the, or often do not have the faith to experience them through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I, I wanna be careful. I'm not saying that we never have the faith, and I'm not saying if we have total faith that they will automatically happen. This is the part I cannot fully explain. But what I do think is that more often than not, we tend to dismiss them. We live in a Western culture with a scientific mindset. Never underestimate the power of disbelief. There are other cultures in the world where miracles are happening all the time and they acknowledge them without a second thought. But here in our Western scientific mindset, to just say that somebody went down the street, touched somebody else and they were healed, we tend to have a lot of skepticism around that. And again, never underestimate the power of disbelief. For example, if you look up in the life of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke chapter 4, verses 22 to 32, there you hear this story about Jesus in his own hometown not really being able to do miracles. Why? Because the people looked at Jesus and they're like, why is there so much attention being, being paid attention to this guy? That's Joe's son. He's a carpenter's son. You're, you can't tell me he's the son of God. Why is he a big deal everywhere else? Jesus, if you're such a big deal in other places and doing miracles and healings in other places, why aren't you doing them here? And essentially what Jesus says is he looks at those people in his own hometown and he says, because you 
lack faith. He looks at them and he says, your heart is weak. And because your faith is weak, no miracles will happen here. I wonder how often that is the case for us. I know I struggle with it. I confess to you I struggle with it. One of my favorite prayers in the Bible is this from Mark chapter 9. Lord, I do believe, but help my unbelief. I pray that a lot. I I believe, God, I absolutely do, but help my unbelief. Church, what would it look like for us to start to really believe in the power and the healing of miracles that are offered to us? Because where the Holy Spirit shows up, miracles do often begin to happen. Where the Holy Spirit shows up, miracles do begin to happen. And then as we consider that reality, here's what I want us to get today and here's what I want us to take away today. If what I just said is true about the power of the Holy Spirit showing up, then this is true. The church is the most powerful energy source on earth as it taps into the power of the Holy Spirit through prayer. Let me say that one more time. The church is the most powerful energy source on earth as it taps into the power of the Holy Spirit through prayer. Now, one more time, when I say that statement to you, is that easy for you to believe, hard for you to believe, or you just don't know? Do you view the church as this most powerful energy source in the world as the Holy Spirit flows through it? Let the online host know. Again, I just love to know what we're thinking here. Yes, that's so easy for me to believe, and I think we can do it and experience it in the power of Christ. Are you kidding me? That is hard to believe. Or man, this is all kind of confusing me, and I just don't know. If you're thinking, how in the world can we be this most powerful energy source, and how do we tap into it? I don't know how. Let me tell you this morning, because it's really simple. We can tap into the most powerful energy source in the world, the Holy Spirit lived out in God's church through one very practical tool that God gives us all, and it's called prayer. When the the disciples early on had no other resources, no other facilities, no other buildings, they relied completely on prayer, and God unleashed a holy movement. God unleashed a tsunami of love and kindness and generosity and hospitality. Church, how good is that to hear in a day, a time, when we don't get to be in our own buildings, where more and more of our resources and securities are being stripped away? It's almost like God is saying, I am going to draw you back in this time of stillness and pausing and having other securities ripped away to be reminded again, you've got the most powerful opportunity of all in prayer. So church today, I want to invite you with me. Let us be a church of prayer. Let us pray for God to move in ways we can't even fathom in this unstuck time in which we are in. Let us pray that we'll never be a church that goes back to just being about programming and gathering in one spot, but we are spread. We are dispersed to be the people of God, to offer healing to people wherever they need it and however they need it. This is a time for us to be praying for our healthcare workers and our frontline workers. This is an opportunity to be supporting our teachers who want to continue to teach and our leaders who are seeking wisdom. And this is an opportunity to love our neighbors and meet very practical needs that they have, all in the power of the Holy Spirit. All of those are ways to offer healing in our world. Do you remember when Jesus was going to be leaving this earth and he said to his disciples at Pentecost, you will be clothed in the power 
power of the Holy Spirit as I send you into our world. Now is that opportunity for us, church. We've been praying for 500 connections. Why not 2,000 connections? Why not this incredible opportunity to share in a way that the world, our culture has never recently seen because of the unstuck moment that we're in? In these kinds of times, what we've always seen from God's people in the power of the Holy Spirit is that they offer radical acts of hospitality, radical acts of kindness, radical acts, radical acts of generosity, and through all of that, they offer healing into our world. So today, church, that is my invitation to us. That is the thing I wanna invite us to pray about this morning, to pray specifically, powerfully, for God's Holy Spirit power to be unleashed, that healing might occur. That again, John chapter 14, verse 12, our theme verse for the year, that we might do immeasurably more even than what Christ himself did. Church, the Greek word for spirit is a word called pneuma, and it literally means breath or airway. I wanna invite you right now where you are as we conclude our time. Just pause where you are and right now take a deep breath. And literally, as you take that air in, that breath in, may the Holy Spirit fill us with life to share. Doctors share that when you are close enough to those you love and care about, your heart, your airway, the, the rhythm, the beating, the breathing, starts to get in rhythm, synchronized with the one you are close to. It's why moms, when their child, their baby is upset and crying, what does a mom do? Takes that baby, snuggles them close to her heart and chest. Why? So that her breathing begins to synchronize with the babies. The two become one. And that anxious child begins to breathe, find life, experience life as mom does. Church, how might we begin to breathe, find life, peace, joy, by breathing in step with the Holy Spirit through prayer? I think God would surprise us in the miracles and the healing that begins to emerge. So church, will you pray with me Will we breathe in the power of the Holy Spirit that through hospitality, kindness, generosity, healing, even miracles might again become our norm for the sake of the world, for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. In the power of the Holy Spirit, may it be so.